Hey there, you got Jeff. I've got about 15 seconds before my dog barks again, so I'll make this quick. If you're looking to connect with other customer success leaders who are trying to operationalize customer success in their companies, come over to gaingrowretain.com and join now. Hello, hello. You've got Jeff here. Just wanted to give you guys a, a quick intro for today's episode. Amazing guest, really easy to talk to him, and he had a lot of unique perspectives. And that is Jake Dunlap of Scaled Consulting. Uh, you've probably seen him around LinkedIn, other various sales events. He's very active in the community. Um, and we wanted to get on to talk to him about just the unique perspective of sales, customer success. Uh, you know, he spent his career in the B2B space um, and, you know, really interesting, unique takes on where sales is going in the B2B environment and SaaS specifically. And then same thing on the customer success side. Um, he drops a couple of good nuggets in here. We're probably going to pull those out, out for uh, you know some unique clips, but um, really want you guys to listen all the way through here. Great episode and uh, enjoyed having him on. So without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation with Jake. Welcome to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. One of the things that we often find is that if you talk, if you look at sales and marketing and you look at their customer journey, it sort of stops at the point where the deal is done, like where they become a customer. And then if you look at customer success, it's got one column for all the stuff that happens pre-sales and then a bunch of columns or anything else. But we think of it as like one big thing, right? Obviously it's not, it's not, uh, it's not departmental. So how do you guys think about it? Well, the problem is it's become departmental, right? Mm -hmm. Marketing has its KPIs to generate an MQL. Right. And, and that means that by nature, that they're, if their compensation is tied to something happening at X stage and not other things, it's going to be difficult for them to like have a primary focus there. Right. Or their KPIs or their metrics are all around net new. You know, we, we've kind of forgotten about marketing's role in the customer journey post MQL, SQL, SQO, whatever the, you know, whatever you want to call it. And then you've got the SDR, same thing. SDR is only incentivized to push you into taking a meeting because there's no benefit for them not to. If I'm an SDR, I'm qualifying everybody. What's the point? What do I, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. what's like, why, you know, and, and not only that, the, the, the issues that you see in these breakpoints, right? That marketing struggles to get the SDR, the data they need advanced to properly prepare. The SDR getting the salesperson, the data that they need. So then the person's not repeating themselves. And then I got to go to onboarding and repeat myself for the third time about what my goals are, et cetera. Then onboarding teams are sometimes incentivized on speed. If your onboarding team is incentivized on speed, you have a perverse incentive that is crushing your user engagement. I'm telling you right now, we've worked with so many different technology companies and every single time, the companies with the worst first year churn are companies that have an onboarding process where their team is comped on speed because everyone's different, dude. It looks real beautiful in this graph that it's five weeks, mm-hmm. but guess what? These people are seven. These people are four, you know? And, yeah. and so- so there's all these different things because none of these people report into the same person. They all have KPIs that have no penalty for poor action at the next stage. I was talking, I had a, a LinkedIn live with uh, Richard Harris and he and I, we, we disagree a lot on stuff. Let's just put it that way. And I said, look, my radical idea for salespeople's comp, and I kid you not, I'm trying to push all of our clients to this. My consultants are pushing back on me hard like Jake, is I want a big portion of salespeople's comp to be on the deal they close, but a portion of it to be once someone reaches power usage. The whole goal of a, a revenue machine is to produce power users. That's it. The whole goal of a sales engine and marketing engine is to produce power users, right? That's all, yep. the, that's all, the, that's all the client cares about. The client doesn't care about signing contract. The client doesn't care about any of this. The client cares about power usage. And so every, the, the whole organization, we've got to start to really look at these handoffs and create the incentive plans to where it, it, it kind of hooks us all together. And that's why for me, when I was, a, you know, and, and like on the front lines, 
I never took a VP of sales job that I didn't control customer success and, and account management. Now I actually will talk about, you know, like customer success. You know, like let's talk about the difference between the, the, the servicing and the training versus the growth of the account. You know, one of the things that I did and, and I'll kind of loop this all together. When I was at Chartbeat, we made a very radical decision. We actually had customer success report to product. Mm-hmm. Right. I yeah, account, account management. It. Yeah. Account management reported to me. So the business relationship, the growth and, and CS dotted line to me, but it just made sense because product needs the feedback. If people aren't using it, that's product's fault, you know, and they coupled with bad expectation management. So again, like that goes back to, we've got to fix that with comp changes, but, but that was something that we did. We didn't do that at Glassdoor, but you know, for me, I would never go be a VP of sales because then I control the entire customer journey. I can build a revenue organization that is focused on an amazing customer journey and focused on growing accounts because I'm not worried about, did I get my first deal as big as possible because I'm gonna have to hand yeah. my account off. I never had to worry about that. And I, it, I would never do that if I was a VP of sales or VP of success. It, is that the difference between a chief revenue officer and a VP sales? I, I, like yeah, fundamentally? Maybe. Or sometimes it goes the other way to marketing too, right? Like it's, it, it could go either way. I mean, for me, look, one of the best things that happened in my life that I've realized now is I grew up in sales when I had to generate my own meetings, close my own deals and manage my own accounts. I had a customer success team that would take care of like, you know, admin settings and postings and stuff like that. But I, I got in, I got to understand why, like, you know, look, if I, if I set a meeting with you, I got to now take that meeting. <laughs> so guess what? If you're a bad fit, I'm not going to set myself the meeting. That's right. That's guess right. what? Yeah. You're a pain in the ass. Guess what? I'm not going to close the deal. <laughs> like, so I, because that doesn't happen anymore and I'm okay that we still, that we've, that we've, we've went super hard segmentation of roles, right? I mean, just literally 15 years ago, this does not exist. None of this. Mm, and yeah. still a majority, I mean, we're in our little SaaS bubble. A majority of organizations actually run this way. Non-software. Um, so I, look, I think there's just ways that you can create incentive incentives to hook all these things together. So look, there's a lot in there guys. I'll, I'll shut up for a second, but that, that is kind of my passion around the customer journey and, and kind of our methodology and what I'm developing right now, I'm writing a book about, it's called the customer framework, which is how do you start with a customer journey in mind and you build a sales organization around that, you know, every single previous sales methodology has been about, here's our methodology and then customers, you, you deal with it. And I think that that's, I think there's a framework that you, that you have, that there's a right and a wrong way. But each customer journey based on, is it finance? Is it HR? Is it sales? Is it marketing? Is it operations? They all behave and loop in different groups as a part of their buying cycle. And so I feel like we, right now, we've, we've over-engineered to be efficient for us and not effective for our customers. Oh, totally. So that is, that's yeah, music to our ears right there. there. <laughs> um, no, I, I think generally too, we, we would follow down that same path, especially around the incentives and the comp that you're talking about and trying to, I think one of the things that we often see, um, again, we've kind of focused in growth stage B2B SaaS companies only. And I think one of the things that we often see is that um, retention is always just put at the feet of customer success. And so I think um, one of the thoughts that was kicking around in my head too, as you talked about going from uh, you know, obviously a large part of the sales comp tied to the initial deal and then maybe some of the power users is also thinking about like, how can you incentivize the sales team also at the points of renewal? So can I That's give- That's what I really person- want to do. Just yeah, so you know, like, my, yeah. but, look, this idea already, the amount of people that were so pissed off when I made the first comment, I, I actually think that's the right move is that they receive 80% and then 20% on first renewal. And, and yeah. what, it, what it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean necessarily that all of a sudden the salesperson is going to spend all their time on the renewal. It doesn't. They might check in a little bit. How's it going, Sally? How's it going? Hey, hey, team, just so you know, I talked to Richard. Things aren't going so hot. Can you guys hop in? It's just that little bit it, of extra. But it's, it's about selling the right deal, right? It's not even about that's the right. check It's about HubSpot did this. Deal. HubSpot did this. HubSpot yeah, is Yeah, yeah, Mark Rivers. That's right. Mark did yeah. this. And, but it didn't take on. Why? It's a tough pill to swallow for sales leaders to push it into their organization. 
And they could just go, they could, the, the sales reps can just go to the next company who's not going to do it. There's right. no incentive. That's right. There's yep. no incentive not to do it. And again, it, there used to be a natural disincentive because you had to maintain the account. We've removed that natural disincentive, but we haven't changed the comp plans. They're still based on a percent of deal and all this stuff because we, we were okay with that because the, you know, we knew that LTV would make it up. Well, now the salespeople don't give a shit about LTV. They're not incentivized to care about lifetime value anymore because they don't manage the account. So you've got to find some other way to incentivize the whole revenue organization to actually care about LTV and not just once it's passed over the fence. Well, you start with the executive team, right? Make sure they're, a lot of executive teams don't have retention built into their metrics. How many, how many marketing organizations have a retention-based bonus? 1% maybe? Yeah, I, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know that for Not sure. a lot. And it's a joke, especially as you yeah. mature, as you yeah. mature, you're only going to get 20% growth from the market and 80% is going to be growth from your current, you know, like yeah. it, it's, it's really interesting. It didn't use, you know, again, like all they do is milk customer success for testimonials and case studies that the team rarely uses because they go get their own anyway. And then, so they can use it for Legion. And then, well, then the, this, this dovetails nicely into um, customer marketing, which we think is uh, largely, I mean, this goes down the path that you're just going down, which is largely underutilized, underthought about, right? It's like once they become a customer, marketing then still goes back to their, how do, I, how do I create MQLs? And they're not thinking about how are we communicating with our current customers? And so then you get this hodgepodge of um, like our sales team might be sending some emails, our customer success team might be sending some emails. We've got automated emails from our, uh, from our support ticket, ticketing system. And then there's all of a sudden just like nobody knows really what's communicating to the client um, at, a, at a nice cadence with actual thought behind it. And so yeah. I think that's another point that we largely have been trying to, to push our clients a lot into is like, hey, you need to have somebody who comes into work every day thinking about customer marketing. They need to be kind of the quarterback of all of these messages that are going out and it needs to be retention driven, right? We need to be thinking about the long term. So how do we um, mix in not only relationship surveys and understanding what the customer feels about us, but you know, where we're going with the product, how they're using it today, how can we segment customers? So I'm curious if you've seen that too, in terms of a lack of customer marketing and, and just the resources behind that. Yeah. A lot of time that's just like product marketing, just repurposing stuff, right? Like it's, it's that, Hey, here's a new release. I, here's what I think. The I, I feel like CS is second place to sales, maybe third place behind SDR. I don't know where CS goes. It's somewhere in there, but it's definitely not number one. And it's, it's because of, we look at it as a maintenance job. We don't look at it as a growth job. And that's that it's that foundation. And like a lot of the consulting we work, we do whenever we work with these is to change the mindset that your CS or account management, whatever you call it, whoever's in charge of like the, the, the relationship, not just the usage, they need to be able to have business conversations. They need totally. to be able to talk to them. And so I think if, if I was going to have a customer or marketing department, I would be focused on how do I repurpose the white papers and the industry things and all of this to help my companies with their business, not just to maintain, maintain. And I feel like that has been a big issue that I've seen is that it, not enough. And it's why companies bring us in is to help that turn that mindset to a growth mindset that, and it's, and it's, you have different customers in different segments, some heavy growth, some, you know, maintenance plus growth and some pure maintenance. And, it, but again, instead, in a lot of these orgs are so overwhelmed, they treat kind of everyone the same. They don't have proper tier one, tier two, tier three strategies, which is what every CS and AM organization should have. And the DNA for me, I'll tell you, look, when I was scaling, when I scale teams, my account managers are actually a better proxy to move into sales than my SDRs are. Because my account managers have learned the product, they learned the value prop, they know how people are using it, they're, they're focused on a growth number, and those actually make equally as great, assuming that's the path that they want, right, of course. But I, that's what I did at Chartbeat. My account managers became some of my like, you know, like top sellers early on. Totally. So, so anyway, that, there's I, a lot I th there. I think um, what you just said is a lot of the reason, I mean, I think we're seeing layoffs right now across the board in a lot of different functions. And we, we focus mostly on B2B SaaS. I want to I talk to you about what you focus on here in a minute, but yeah. 
I do think there, there's some inordinate uh, CSM teams in particular are being inordinately impacted by these layoffs. And I think it's because they've fallen into a maintenance mode. Right. right? And, and there's no, there's no attachment to revenue or growth to your point. We talk about this all the time and it's like, it's an area of passion for us because Hey, we don't want to, we think it's valuable for companies to have these kind of functions, but they do need to be focused on growth and expansion of the accounts and the relationships, right? Not just, it's not just about driving more bookings. It's about building your brand through great well, customer it's, outcomes. It's, 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 it's the quotas, right? So like, if yeah. you're, you know, the quotas that used to, again, that I used to see more prevalent now. And again, this is what we try to do with work with, with our clients that are ready for it. It's look, you come into the quarter with a book of business and there's a growth target on it. You come into that, that quarter with a $300,000 worth of renewals. Guess what? Over the course of this year, I expect, let's say you walk, let's say you have a million dollar book. I'm just, this is just an example. You're an enterprise level or whatever it is. Actually, like, let's make this more actionable. You've got a $500,000 book. Okay. It's not equally spread out over each quarter or whatever it is, but guess what? At the end of the year, I need you at 650. Okay. Guess what? You lose an account. You better go grow another one. Like we just don't have this ownership mindset of this is your book of accounts versus I'm here to be reactive in a service. And you, and, and then you kind of get to know your book. Like, all right, so this 20%, I'm not, I'm just going to, these are maintenance. These 60% are kind of somewhere in the middle. Let's see. And these 20% are my active growth opportunities. Why everyone should be looking at their book that way. But again, we've turned this into a reactive role versus a proactive growth. Like we turn this into pure. Hey there, this is Jeff trying to make it in less than 15 seconds. So here's the pitch. We have an online community with thousands of customer success leaders. Now we're searching for sponsors and partners to help us grow that. Are you one of them? Reach out to us. Let us know. Maintenance. And so that's why, again, like these people are finding themselves, you know, at times like um, struggling to show the actual impact because they don't have a growth target and that's not their fault. You know, it, they're like, yeah. just keep net negative churn at zero or, you know, 5%. I'm like, you're an early stage SaaS company, dude, you should be growing clients 300% year one. But instead we're so enamored with net new business. We just, we're leaving this money on the ground, you know? And so there, there's just, there's a, such a substantial when you're going from seed series, a series, B series, C, man, your growth engine for current customers has to just be massively on point. Yeah. So where, where do you guys focus in terms of your, what's your ideal client profile? Yeah. I mean, we have like very, two very distinctly different profiles. So we do a lot of work and it's kind of where we, we, we grew up in this growth stage sale, like tech, right? Which is we're trying to scale, whether it's around people, our process for demand gen or sales or account growth, um, our tech stack, you know, we do more sales engagement deployments than almost any company in the world. That's not one of those technologies. And so we're focused on what's the infrastructure that breaks as you go from, you know, five to 20, 20 to hundred, hundred to 500, all the different things that break. And we are that expert agency that supplements your internal team, both from a sales enablement, sales operations and leadership standpoint. And then we work with, with larger organizations that are trying to modernize. They might already have a few hundred people in a role, et cetera. They, they see the future and now they need to bring in an agency to come in and help them with that. You know, like, Hey, we know we need to overhaul our sales competencies, our sales methodology. We want something that's bespoke to us. We don't want some out of the box thing. That's not our culture. That's where we come in. So it's usually companies in those, those early stages of scaling or companies that want to take that same mindset, but you know, to, to more established organizations. So is it, is it tech and SaaS then predominantly? Yeah, pro- yeah probably 85% I would say of our clients are, are tech. Okay. Yeah. yeah Cause I mean, that, that's where these high growth companies sort of lives in that space. But yeah, sometimes, I mean, the methodologies apply outside. It's of the that. same. It's the same. It's just like version one, like the more yeah. established companies are even easier at times yeah. because for them, they've been doing things the same way and you can make some small tweaks to, if you make a small tweak to a big engine, it pumps out a lot more shit. Oh yeah. Right. And so the th- we can do the things that we're doing at that, that growth stage that really can move the needle there. So. 
How do you, um, when you, when you start thinking about the, you just mentioned maybe like the jump between like one to, or uh, kind of this, I don't know, 10 to 20, right? You said kind of a couple of those breakpoints as you start thinking yeah. about some of those, what are some of the key mistakes that you think organizations are making, even in those early stages, kind of, you know, series A, series B, as yeah. they're thinking about the growth engine, like what are just some, like you walk in the door and it's almost like you don't even have to ask questions. You already like, no, you're like, these three things are probably wrong if I had to guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of things that honestly, I, mean, I can just tell you, this is what I screwed up. Right. And so I, I know I made mistakes here. So step one is under investing in sales operations and whether you call it sales operations or sales enablement, I don't really give a shit. It's, it's investing in the infrastructure to help your team grow as you scale. So, you know, by the time you get to 10 sales reps or people in the revenue org CS2, you, you need, you need a sales operations person and not, not a same, by the way, there's a Salesforce admin is not a sales operations person, right? They're different people. Totally. Okay? Yeah. And, and so you need to have that, that that's step one. You need someone who can support the revenue organization and the ways that they need to support it are what's our training and onboarding plan. Is this thing actually set up to get people up to speed in a, in a quick, quick manner? The other thing that changes your roles and your hiring profiles, meaning you might be maturing and, you know, before you needed wild, wild west, scrappy lone wolves, and now you need to scale. So maybe now the DNA or the profile. So I think for me, I look back at where I messed up the most. And I would say consistently, it was as we were going through these breakpoints, I didn't reevaluate our role profiles. I didn't make sure that our, our training and onboarding plan is keeping up. Oh, and then the third thing is territories. That what happens every organization, especially when they're going from like 10 to 30 or five to 20 or whatever it is, you got to take accounts away from those first five reps. Cause you got to create, you got, I, I look at it. Imagine there's a green field and those first right five reps are these oak trees, man. And if you guys know what an oak tree looks, you guys are in Charleston, you know what I'm talking about. These oak trees spread everywhere, right? They grow new oak trees. They go do that. Yeah. They're crazy. I can't scale that way. There's not enough green field. But what I can do then is I can put in like, I need to trim them back and give them their area to grow and allow more room for these like, you know, like soldier pines to grow. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that not trimming territories or taking accounts away when you grow, you don't realize, I didn't realize it until too late. I'm like, God, why are, why is ramp slowing down? And it was a combination of our process was mediocre. And I'm like, Oh, the first 10 people have all the good accounts. <laughs> like they're, they're hoarding them. And so then we had to make some change changes. Yeah. I, we, we see that with CSM teams a lot too. Not, not so much the growth issue there, but the uh, you find that the relationships that, that, happen after the sale, they tend to get, they tend to become more about the personal relationships than the value that the product is providing. And so people become re reluctant to give up their accounts, which is a really tricky situation. So we like to even see territory shift and evolve in the CSM organization, even though they're, you know, it, it's going to piss a customer off to lose their, their CSM at times, right? Yeah. I'm going to tell you right now, if you're listening right now, you're a CS leader or account management leader. This is the one thing that I want you to just hit pause on the, on the podcast. I want you to go do it. And then you can hit play in like a week. It's really simple. If you want to reduce churn and I can tell you, we've looked at all of our clients, right? Across the board. Top three reason for churn is you're single threaded. Yep. In that's right. Every organization. Do you know how easy that is to fix? Go get another person. And the best time to do it, here's my next tactical advice, is in the onboarding process. Okay, well, great, Lucy. We're really excited. Da, da, da. So let's talk about the onboarding. So usually what we'll do is you're going to handle this. Then we'll loop in Victor to you know, handle blah, blah, blah. And this you know, is more of a strategic, make sure they know what's happening. And then we'll do this. That's it. So use your onboarding process to get multi-threaded and have two or three contacts in every client. Put down the podcast, go get. If you do that, it is going to fundamentally change your churn problem. I guarantee that's worth at least three, four, five, ten points, depending on your your org. Yeah. So, see, see, you're you're thinking about this like like a salesperson thinks about it, which is 
Fantastic. We, we no actually difference. try to get our, no well, we, we try to get our, our clients to think like this, right? Because what happens, here's the other, here's what is actually happening. The sales team is transitioning the account to the implementation team who, to your earlier point, has a speed metric and they're just trying to push people through the pipeline, right? So what happens? They're not thinking about engagement. They're thinking about project management and configuration and implementation and deployment and go live and testing and the list goes on, right? So I think what you just outlined there is a strategic approach to customer engagement that spans the life cycle, right? And there's a clean transition out of the sales yeah. process. I love it. I mean, this is... And it's based around the customers. It's based on the customer's experience. Why does nobody give a shit about the customer? Here's the thing. We're going to change. I already know this. What, what happened, if you look at the evolution, it was we had full cycle. We saw a lot of gains from efficiency in like the early 2010s by starting to segment rules. 2015 sales technology came in and then we were like, wow, now everything is about efficiency. I can automate all this stuff. I can do all these things. Now what's going to happen coming on the other side of this, whenever all, every team is like so many teams were not every, a lot of teams were caught flat footed. They weren't used to like, wait, I've got to have empathy. I've got to change my message. So a lot of teams went into this turtle shell and they're like, I can't even talk to people. I just have to say times are uncertain and I'm sorry. They didn't know how to say, look, hey, in your industry, you might be going through this. Based on that, let's catch up in like four or five weeks and see if there's a way we might be able to help you with that. Totally. Like that yeah. used to be, every, we've always had these three buckets, people who aren't ready right now, people with a little bit of push or whatever, like can kind of be starting to get ready. And the people that are in industries that are killing it. And guess what? There's still people that are, I've got so many clients. There's a podcast, B2B podcast tech company. They hit their annual number in March. Annual number, like there's so many different businesses that are like this. And so as a sales rep or a CS rep, CS rep, you can't put all your clients in the same times are tough and unsettled right now bucket. That's not, it's just not true. It's, it's like that for some people. It might be like that for you, but you also have clients that are doing extremely well right now. And so mm -hmm. you can be having that growth conversation. You can be having that with them. It's not, and then again, it's just the buckets, the, the, the percent in each bucket has changed. And so you, you should always be treating your account base like this. I thank God I grew up in sales between 2007 and 2012, right? Like, I grew up in the job space during that time. So for me, I'm just oh. like, you know, exactly, exactly. I was it's like, like career builder. yeah, oh, career well, builder. Career builder. I was at career builder for four years yeah. during this whole thing when they were the number one job site. And so, you know, this is pre LinkedIn, like dude. And I was number one team at two years in a row out of teams out of 25 inside sales teams, because my team, we segmented our accounts. We just spent time with people who were not in bad industries. <laughs> you know, like it wasn't that what we were doing was not overly complex. And we knew how to talk business. We prepared. And that's the other thing I think with CS teams, I am shocked. And it's, I'm like, and appalled by the lack of the lack of, you don't even know your customer's business. If I go to the average CS rep, how does this company make money? How can you help them if you don't know how they make money? I like yeah. that question. How does this company make money? Well, they're in manufacturing. Okay. Do they make tractors? Do they make coffee machines? And then how is COVID affecting them? How is the quarantine affecting them? Somebody who makes tractors versus somebody who makes bread makers. Guess what? Bread makers are up 667%. <laughs> Not joking. That's an actual stat. Oh, I'm yeah. sure it is. Just making bread. Yeast, yeast is sold out across the country. So yeah. guess what? Again, manufacturing, totally different thing. So it goes back, whether you're in CS or you're in sales, we, we're having this kind of re-imagining you know, of getting more in tune with who our, who our clients are. And I saw a lot of companies turn to, you know, oh, we're going to go get to know our current clients better during the next eight weeks. I'm like, well, what, the f what have you been doing the last what were you doing? Yeah. five years? Well, so, so we'll see, we'll see so if it changes, you, man. I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced people felt it enough. Like most companies I'm talking to now, I mean, um, you know, clients are already starting to look at what's, what's back to market look like. You know, it's already, it's already happening. Which on one hand is good. We need that. But of course, <laughs> one of the, one of the things that just uh, triggered for me too. Uh, so 
I, in my previous career, I was a account manager at a, a digital marketing analytics firm. So we, uh, technology business. Um, and one of the things that I felt like I did really well there. And the reason why I succeeded was because I went and did exactly what you just mentioned before I got a client, I would go research the hell out of that client until like know the business. I would go read, uh, one of my clients was Lenovo computers. Right. I went and read, I went and read their, uh, public filings. Uh, and like, That's like I went deep, yes. right. And like, I went deep. And so then I learned all these different business units they had, how they all interacted. And so when I walked into that first conversation, it was totally different than walking in and saying, we worked with the B2B organization. And it was a lot different walking in and saying, Oh, cool. I already have an understanding of what you sell, who you try to sell to, yes. uh, what departments you have um, versus saying, Hey, do you mind giving me your, like your business history? Like what, um, tell me a little bit about Lazy. like what you guys do. Like, Darn. yeah, like, yeah, Lazy. it's just, um, so I, I really resonate with that because I think that is, especially in today's age, like it has only gotten easier to go find, uh, short snippets of speeches that like, I, I was listening to a podcast this morning, uh, that was really good. And the guy was like, I went back and listened to speeches, just 15, maybe 15 minute clips of speeches the last 10 years for a CEO of a company yeah. uh, before I interviewed him for like this big thing. And you know, the reason I did that is because I got so many good questions. I was like, why did you seven years ago say that your company was going to be worth a hundred million dollars? How did you know back then that it was going to be worth, you know, like, I don't know. I just think that there's all these, um, I love that we're applauding easier. this. I love yeah. that we're applauding this. We're like, can you believe this guy did 15 <laughs> minutes worth of research before? It's like, dude, it's like, that's why, you know, if you look at like, uh, like Tim Ferriss, I think is like, if you listen to Tim Ferriss's podcast or not, like Tim just does the reason he's like, you know, one of the top podcasts in the world is, and Joe Rogan does it too, right? Like they, they research, they show it prepared. Their questions are thoughtful. They're not like crazy. You know, they're the, the more prepared, the better. And it's no different in sales. It's no different in anything in your life. I don't care if you're in sales or CS or finance operations. It's all, if you're a CEO, the more you prepare, the more time you spend, um, you know, not around every activity, but certain activities, the ROI is massive. Yeah. And one of the other things that um, you triggered when we were talking earlier, I'm curious, you, you thought about too, um, along the whole aspect of carrying the relationship, right? And making sure that we're throughout the onboarding that we're introducing, we're multi-threaded. Um, how do you think about two coaching teams on the depth of those relationships? So how do you get them just to go beyond the surface level? That's right. Hey, you know, hey, Jake, how you doing? Just calling to check in. Like, how do you uh, coach the teams to say like, hey, let's get down to, you know, the next level and the layer below That's that? Right. Like, how do you start? How do you think about that? I think, I think the, the first thing you do is it, this is leadership. Leadership has to say, look, as a rule, we have two people within account that we meet with at least once a quarter, right? Something very basic like that. So is again, a, um, a contact in a CRM is not a relationship, which is, which is what you're getting at. And so yep. I think you can do just some very basic stuff like that. We've got one POC, but you have at least one person. And if it's a, you know, over X account, we've got at least two people that you meet with once a quarter that aren't just end users that are people that are influencers in the process. Um, and I think you could literally just start something basic like that, man. I think, I think that probably gets you where you need to go for 50, 60% of, of accounts. Yeah. Yeah. We've been trying to coach our teams a lot on, um, if we can have, have at least one executive sponsor, uh, that we, like you said, feel like feels like carries the weight. Maybe he's the contract signer. Let's have two champions and maybe even three power users from the customer success lens. Right. Do we have, um, kind of a triangle that we can look at in terms of those relationships and we might not have all of them all of the time, but we need to at least be able to identify what layer they kind of fall in. in You have to have consistent meetings with these other people. That is it. What shows that you are in a relationship is there's consistency, not, you know, I've talked to this person, et cetera. You know, we have technology partners and services partners that are, you know, for us. And that's how I judge my Alliance team. When have we, like, are we meeting with these other people and the people consistently? If the answer is no, then you're always going to be in danger. If you just put in place, again, a lot of this, the stupid, easy stuff we do is we just have tier one, tier two, tier three plays, which means like, great. It means like a tier one, you're doing these activities over the course of a year, a tier two, you're doing these and a tier three, you're doing these. And then within that, it's, of course, you're going to talk to them outside of it, but you, and you set that expectation from day one. 
And that is what people don't do. They, they go from one meeting to then setting up the next meeting as opposed to like, I'm laying out our whole partnership together up front. And it's so stupid easy. It, it eliminates the inconsistencies, all this stuff. So that's kind of like my second piece of like super tactical advice, you know, outside of the like getting multi-threaded is lay out that customer relationship from the very jump. This is what's going to happen. This is what it is. And these QBRs are not, uh, you're never going to get an email from me. And if you're a CS rep, and, you know, I want you to hear this loud. If you ever send an email, it says catching up, touching base or checking in, checking in. Yeah. That is why that, that is why that is why people are canceling their meetings with you. There's no value. You have to prepare like we were just talking about for every meeting. You need to have something of value to give them in every interaction. You know, you have to have read their reports, read their data. You know, so to me, I feel like these are some things you can do. And the beautiful part about all of these is it's just a process. It's just structure. And by doing this, having that like multi-thread, by having the right number, we have our set number of check-ins. I'm telling you, just by these things, we're talking about at least single-digit reductions in churns and most likely for a lot of people, double-digit reductions in churn just by having some, some more rudimentary basic processes in place. Um, and also, and then again, like the third thing we talked about is that make sure the compensation plans align. What's the behavior that you want to incentivize? Don't accept the 5%, 10% year-over-year growth, especially not in year one. Again, most SaaS companies, year one to year two growth could be hundreds of percents. And so you got to be really smart about who you're putting on top of that account. You know, like if it should stay with sales, if it should, or there should be an account management position that you create or whatever that, you know, whatever that looks like for your org. Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to do it, but, but there's a high likelihood that I will tell you this, the person who enjoys having the business conversation is most likely not the person who enjoys trainings and admin settings. I am that person. If, if my job was to produce licenses and do trainings, and again, this is just my DNA, I, I would go bonkers, right? I love talking about the business and then going away. I don't want to train in you. Like, it's just not my DNA. It's not something that I enjoy, which is why account management CS or sales and CS is, can be such a, a win-win or account management, depending on what you call it. So I feel like you, you have to, you know, if you're in a smaller company, a smaller, you know, ACV, you have to, they have to be able to do a little bit of both, right? You can't afford to have multiple people. But, you know, you've got to be right. looking at those pressure points as a, a CS AM leader. You've got to be looking at, you know, where can I afford that? Where is the, what is that tier of growth or tier of client or potential ACV where I can um, afford that? And I love the idea of laying it out up front, right? If you set expectations, by the way, your, your executive sponsor, once they sign that contract, they're pretty much gone, right? The decision maker, they're around long enough to approve the contract. But I think a lot of times we make the mistake of, of thinking that the person we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis has full control over that when they actually have close to no control over it, especially at a time like this, when everything is being approved or denied well above their head, right? Yeah. Just because they run a department or just a lot of, a lot of folks that, that are, you know, VPs even may not have authority to spend in, in good times, right? And especially right now. So yeah, that's right. Uh, I like the idea of keeping that executive sponsor, like setting that expectation with them. They're going to be here. And it might need to be the salesperson who does that, right? Yeah, or your CEO or your VP. It needs to be executive somebody sponsor, who, right. that's right. Somebody from your internal Maybe you're not there yet. And so you're nervous or you're scared about doing this, dude. You know, I'll, I'll give you, because again, I had to manage my own accounts too, right? I'll tell you about a couple of meetings I set. So I set a meeting with the CEO of Kempton Hotels. You think, oh, I, yeah. you think nice. I took that meeting? No, I brought in our CEO of Career Builder. I got That's him, right. right? I got a meeting with the CHRO of Intel. You think I took that meeting? No, I brought in our COO. Team, team sport. No, of course, yeah. dude. There's, of course, like, I, dude, what I realized early on in my sales career is like, I just needed to be the quarterback. I don't need to be the quarterback, running back, wide receiver. 
You don't need, and same thing if you're, if you're in CS, you don't need to be the quarterback, running back, wide receiver, GM. Just know who you got. Put the bigger the accounts are too, the, the less of a chance it's actually going to work. Expect right? it. And the more risky it gets. So, Expect and I mean, this is, this is good feedback for executives who may be listening to this too. So if you're a CEO and you haven't personally talked to your 10 or 20 biggest accounts over the past year, Problem. you're wrong, right? You Problem. should, you should be. Uh, they all did recently because they thought they were going to turn. <laughs> they all did recently. All of a sudden yeah. we're like, totally. oh yeah. Oh yeah. Maybe I shouldn't talk to you. Maybe I should talk to you outside of our, our customer advisory board that we put together that just basically allows us to do like product pitching to you. You know, like <laughs> the amount of feedback people actually want from their customer advisory board is just also shocking. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just a big pitch fest. I've been a part of some. And um, so, yeah, man, look, I, I'm, I'm super passionate, man. If I, if I, I think account management CS, I, I think is, is one of the most important parts of the sales or the revenue organization as a whole. And, you know, I feel like if, if I was a professional in this, I, you know, a lot of the advice we gave today about, you got to up your business acumen. Totally. You know, you need yeah. to look at it. It's my job is to help these companies. I cannot help them if I don't know what they do. If I don't know what this person does, you need to know your buyer personas inside and out the same way that the SDR team does. You need to do preparation and know your clients inside and out more than the sales team because you're going to have these people for two or three years and you need to be treating them this, this way. You need to treat every client about, okay, what is this, a four-year person? Is this a one-year, two-year? Like, where am I need to spend my time? So that's, you know, that's my like parting advice. Yeah, that's, all I got. that's great. All right, my, my one big takeaway, Jeff, and then I want you to go is the question how does this how does this company make money i love that i'm gonna add that to my repertoire my my big takeaway is uh that jake is uh is now and forever going to be known as the guy who wants to tie retention and renewals to uh sales compensation so every account account executive from now going forward will uh will hopefully know that <laughs> it's gonna happen dude i promise you like it's not it's just gonna be a part a portion right whatever yeah, it is yeah, right? yeah. maybe it's a spiff or a bonus i don't know this is inevitable as, as more businesses go to long-term revenue and sustaining revenue models i i think it's an interesting point because it's got to go there i actually one more takeaway Jake is going to be the guy who has now officially made us put the explicit moniker on our podcast. <laughs> you can bleep it out, man. It's all no, 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 we're keeping that in. Right. We, like, we, like, we do as little post-production. Like a real man. Yeah. All right. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. If you liked what you heard, please take a moment and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues and subscribe. We really appreciate it. Talk to you soon.